the leader, his wife, and his son came over to my parents' small little home on the compound and brutally beat them, basically to a pulp. My mom's face was just bloodied and bruised. Uh, and I walked into our home. Again, I used the home. We had our own homes, but it was we were subjected to anyone coming in at any moment. It, there was not much privacy, and they had ripped things off the wall. It looked like a crime scene. And I walked in to that home and I looked at my parents who were bloodied and beaten. And I looked at all of our personal belongings strewn over. Obviously, someone had come in in a full rage and just ripped not only my parents, but our home apart. Mm. And it was at that moment I said, I don't care if I'm going to hell. This is hell. And I'm getting myself out and I'm getting my parents and anyone else that I can take with me. Welcome to Beyond the Matrix with your host, Adric Suber. Have you ever wondered if this is all there is in life? What lies beyond what we were made to believe? In this podcast, we're going to uncover real human stories of those who have taken courage to go off the beaten path and live in full authenticity. We're going to challenge what you believe is possible, fuel your spirit with courage and heart with warmth to fully live your truth. So buckle up and get ready for the ride beyond Beyond the matrix. matrix. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Matrix. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, and you are in for a ride. She's going to walk us through a very special journey to the world of uh, the unknown by many people, and she has escaped uh, an abusive and extreme religious cult by the age of 25 and has worked her way through to assimilate herself again into the society traveling around the world, living in New York City, and making her way back to Bali. And she has, trust me, worked her way to get to where she is today, to disintegrate the belief system that was so ingrained in her body and her system, the brainwashing that she had experienced. And if you didn't know her, you wouldn't have known that she had gone through all that because She's such a beautiful friend with a beautiful heart and soul, with a childlike curiosity and the authenticity that always allows me to shine in my truth as well. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome my dearest friend that I dearly adore and love in Bali, Jessica Khan. Thank you. Thank you, Adrek. This is such a beautiful honor to sit down and get to know one another on an even deeper level. So I was so excited and honored not only to be a guest, but also to support you in this beautiful vision that you have for all of us. So thank you. Yes, it goes both ways. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you go by the name Jaja. That's one of my nicknames. Yes. (laughs) We can do Jaja. (laughs) I like Jaja. And you're currently writing a book. Correct. Yes. I am almost complete with the book. And it's the first time. I never actually thought I was going to write a book. Mm. And to finish that one sentence, it's the first time I've sort of come forward to tell my story completely. I've never really told my Mm. full story. And for many, many years, the people I met along my journey, once I got out of the cult, had no idea of who I was or what had happened in my past. So the book is the first time that I'm sitting down, I'm putting pen to paper, and I'm really facing my truth, I'm speaking my truth, and I'm sharing it. So it's a a very personal story. Um, but it's really been beautiful as well. So we can get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's and, almost complete. Yeah. And why now after so many years of like healing and processing all of these things, why do you feel like now is the right time to tell your story? So it's a combination of being intuitively guided to do so. 
So it's listening to a voice, the same voice that intuitively guided me out of the abusive cult is also guiding me to write this book. Mm. I've also in the last four to five years done really deep work on facing my past mm. for many, many years. I did not face it. I put it in a box and pretended it never happened and just started mm. over. And as we all know, on these journeys, we can't really get away forever if we want to continue to move forward, not addressing pains and, and traumas. Yeah. So it's only in the last four or five years that I've done so. And I believe it's the ending of my healing process to now be able to speak it, share it, and share the journey because it's not a sad story. The story yeah. I'm sharing is one of resilience and great wisdom that I've yeah. gotten as a result. So yeah. yeah. Well, thank you thank for you. stepping forward yeah. and taking the courage to share a story that I think most of us will never have heard of. Yeah. And I'm sure through the pain and through the struggle and the shadows, there's great light and yeah, wisdom there that, is. that comes out of this. I'm sure like looking back, you could tell this, but while going through the process, right. it was very difficult. Thank you. Thank you for that recognition. It was. And um, I've struggled a lot. It's really, truly in the last three to four years that I've sort of, um, what's the word, exploded and kind mm -hmm. of come into myself and been in a place of peace. Yeah. I was very, um, very unhappy and very in a lot of pain for many, many years. Yeah. So, yeah. And I just wanted to kind of applaud you for the person that you sh you're sh showing up as today because just knowing what you've gone through and seeing who you are today, yes. I, I could hardly tell that you went through such a dark past because yes. you just come across this very strong, like beautiful and independent woman and this smile. I mean, you're constantly lighting people around you and you're so kind. And mm. I think for someone who has been hurt before mm. to not perpetuate that hurt onto others and for you because there's just so much kindness every time i'm around you i feel like oh i feel so seen and safe to really be who i am and that's such a gift and for you to transcend that pain and mm. to spread love instead yeah. that that was just beautiful thank you thank you that's really such a beautiful compliment and i always feel like you see me as well and um it really it's so nice to be seen and mm. not have to to be seen, not have to be the mask that we so often, but to have someone really say, it's safe, you can show yourself and you yeah. do the same thing for me. So uh, I was very excited to <laughs> yes, I can, yes. <laughs> well, um, let's get into your story. Okay. So you were born in a, in a religious cult. Correct, yes. Tell us more. Okay, Yeah. and I will for the sake, because cults are a little more common in the United States. It's a little bit more of a strange, mm. so I don't know in case someone's not familiar with a cult. It's basically, um, you generally, it's a, um, a group of people living together following a leader of some sort. And um, oftentimes in the United States, I think partly because we are protected under freedom of religion there. So mm. you, the, the government and the, they can't really interfere as long as there's nothing vis visually abusive going on or so a lot of times these cults form very often in the United States where someone will have um, a religious idea or it could just be a spiritual community where individuals come together, they live in a concentrated environment, and over time they become brainwashed and this leader or several leaders control their minds mm. and they kind of lose their, their ability to discern or make choices for themselves. So yeah. ours was a religious community. It was, do you want me to go back and give a little history on it? Yeah, okay. yeah. So our leader was one of the founding fathers of AA. So for anyone in, know, who knows AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. 
they have the big book, which is kind of the book of principles that they live by to maintain their sobriety. Mm. And Bill Wilson is considered the founder. But although he's the founder, he got together with a group of recovering addicts in the early 1960s, and they all wrote the book together. Mm. So our leader was one of those original um, recovering alcoholics who helped write the big book. Right. And he had this beautiful idea where he was he lived in New York City. He went a couple hours out of the city in this gorgeous rural area where there's not much happening, where you can be very isolated from society. And initially, I believe that his intention was to truly create an environment to not only support his own recovery, but to make it available to others yeah. seeking. But over time, this community, this beautiful concept turned into a very controlling environment. Mm -hmm. um, People came, a lot of people came to receive recovery from alcohol and drugs. So you're dealing with people whose recovery is a little bit contingent on this man. Mm. So you you could see how there could become like a subservience a little bit. And mm. he's saved their life, so to speak. So mm. there was a dynamic of that going on as well. Um, for me now, writing about it, observing in my own life, I recognize that at some point he stopped living and being the word that he spoke. And mm. I think that's where it goes down dark paths. And right. once we give ourselves over to a lack of integrity in our truth, then all it, it gives all sorts of things can happen. And yeah. it went downhill very fast. Um, he was a raging alcoholic. So he started drinking again. Wow. Yeah. Founding member yeah. of AA started drinking again. Yes. But this time, because our, just to give a little bit of context back, the religion was Christian. Yeah. But it was based heavily on the doctrine of Catholicism. So we believed in Holy Mass, in the receiving the body and blood of Christ in the form of wine, which is what's common in the Catholic Church. So he was basically so enlightened. Mm. So I'm now speaking from the mindset of our brainwashed cult selves. He was so enlightened that he was just doing, he was just taking Mass all the time to connect with God. But what he mm -hmm. was actually doing is drinking himself into pure oblivion. Uh, and then coming out into the congregation of his cult in drunken fits. And uh, that's where a lot of the physical abuse that took place there, because he would be, he was a raging alcoholic yeah. who stopped practicing, did not keep himself in integrity, and now was drinking under the disguise of connecting with God through the Holy mm, Wow. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, everyone believed that he, when he came down in those drunken fits, that he was enlightened by God which is frightening. Wow. So yeah. everyone knew that he was drunk all the time and kind of was okay with how he was acting. I don't, the... we were in denial. I did right. not know because I grew up there. So I didn't have a lot of context of what drunk versus spiritually enlightened the difference because I grew up fairly isolated in this cult outside of society. Yeah. So I had never seen anyone drink alcohol. So right. I had no idea that his behavior, once I left, and I started to, I actually remember I was in New York City and I was walking by a homeless man who was bleary eyed and red eyed and, and drunk on the side of the street. And he looked at me and he screamed. And all of a sudden, my whole body went into panic. And I thought, oh, my God, our leader, this is the face of our leader. Those bloodshot eyes are the eyes I saw. Wow. So for the adults who did have a context, <laughs> they believed they, they knew he was they did not think he was drinking alcohol. I mean, they did not think he was a raging alcoholic. They, they knew he was doing the Eucharist, but they had deceived themselves or convinced themselves that he did it in a spiritual way. It was just mm -hmm. a li little bit. And that when he came down in these fits, it wasn't alcohol. It was Wow. wow. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. It, it goes to show like how when you're so 
isolated yes. from what's going on outside of your bubble. Like yes. you have no reference yes. to like w- what is right and wrong because this is the only truth that right. you've witnessed yeah. and you've experienced. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so you were born in this, in this was, cult. Yes. My mother actually gave birth to me at home. Okay. So she delivered me in the home. So I like to say, like, I literally was indoctrinated from birth. I didn't even have wow. two days in the hospital. Yeah. Influence was purely there in the cult, surrounded by cult wow. on our little hill, um, isolated from society. Walk us through a little bit more about what was life like in the cult. Yeah. What do you guys do every day? What was the rituals and ceremonies like? Yes. Okay. So it changed a lot at whim. That was another, it was very erratic environment. Yeah. Our leader would come up with random ideas. And so there there was a combination of monotonous, just like the same thing over and over again. And then random, he changed our, like he controlled what we wore, what time he would decide everyone needed to be in bed at a certain time. Everyone needed to get up at a certain time. People's sex lives were very controlled. Between really? Couples. But then there was a lot of other things going on behind closed doors. But there was this extreme um, repression and like sexual abstinence huh. as the as the front. But then behind that, there was all sorts of twisted things happening that no one was fully always aware of. But right. um, so he controlled that. But we were it was based on daily mass, the Catholicism. So we would he would tell us what time to go to bed and what time to get up. We had a chapel on the on the compound, so sometimes we would have to get up early and go to to church mass every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, but we were also supposed to do our own like meditation every morning, or pra- they called it prayer time. So you had to get up four thirty five. You had to do at least an hour of of prayer time. Wow. Then oftentimes you had to go then to the church. Um, sometimes again, it changed a lot. Sometimes we had some communal homes as well as individual homes. Everything was very close together. Mm. Um, so sometimes we would have to gather in the community halls for different, uh, meetings or services or worship, but that Mm. changed. So sometimes you were required to, we had to work as children. We were always working. We had farms. We had, he was always coming up with different business ideas of how to sustain the cult yeah. and all children and cult members, everyone was working, working, working. It wasn't, uh, it was not a lot of play as a child. We had a registered school on the property. So it was very much more like being homeschooled, but it was mm. registered with the state. Mm. So as long as we took the, the state tests when we were in high school and we passed, then we were able to get a diploma. So sometimes as children, Sometimes he would we wouldn't have school at all because he thought the world was ending and we didn't need it. And other times we would have some kind of schedule for schooling, which was more of a homeschooling situation. Yeah. But the one constant was we got together every Saturday night and we had something called the sing. And I actually write about this in my book because it's anybody who's come in touch with the cult knows we're kind of it was our weekly gathering and yeah. where um, we sang songs and a lot of controlled um, entertainment took place. Huh. And he also filmed everything. So it's very strange. So yeah. even in our communal gatherings, we would he assigned people to be on the camera at all times. And there were monitors all around. Wow. So he was observing and watching people all the time. So you actually never knew if you were being watched. Wow. So it was a very, very weird environment. I want to understand a bit more about what you think his motive was to be so controlling and establishing all this like rituals definitely power and control for sure and i yeah. think they say absolute power controls absolutely or is it absolute 
there's some, now I'm missing it, but there's a power in power. Yeah. And um, so I also believe in terms of like the sex and also the breakdown within families, in order to have absolute control all over each one of us, you had to break that bond mm -hmm. and intimacy and connection through couples, through family that keeps a bond that that's a stronger unit than one individual. Mm -hmm. And so I had, they also, we were all kind of supposed to report on one another, including family members on family members. So there was a very, there was an environment of, you never know who mm -hmm. was going to decide that you were in sin and sin was just made up. And then you would get in trouble and everyone was trying to maintain their ranking within the system because we had a hierarchy. Mm. And so you wanted, if you didn't bring in enough people or you didn't bring your husband or your wife or your child in and say they're bad, they need to be disciplined, then you would be disciplined for protecting. So huh. I think sex also, the strict rules around sex was a way to break down any kind of unity between intimacy so that right. people really were on their own. And then when you're on your own, yes. it's so much easier to control. Yes. You don't have that bond. So I believe there's an element of that at play. One thing to, 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 I think is important to kind of help people understand, you would say, why, how are these adults who entered here allowing, yeah. this sounds bizarre. So the, the context of it all was that we were a Christian cult, that we were chosen by God, that the world was ending. I don't know. You, you hear these stories. Um, that we were chosen by God to save the world. So the entire outside world was evil of the devil. If we were to step out of this closed, safe environment, we too would become possessed. Mm -hmm. So there was a fear of that. And then on top of it, the the violent discipline that turned sometimes into beating, that all sorts of different physical abuse was under the guise that we had the devil in us. So we were all doing this and family was reporting on family, thinking in the twisted brainwashing mm -hmm. of Polly, that this was their rigorous work towards becoming pure so that right. they could serve this incredibly high calling wow. to be the ones that saved the world at the end. So it's very, very twisted and it's hard to explain. When I explain it now, having been out for so many years, I'm like, how yeah. did this once be my my belief system? I don't yeah. even understand it. Yeah, we did we believe that? Yeah, because once you're so deep in it, especially yes. when you didn't know what else is up yeah. there. Yes, this this was your entire belief system. Yes, when yeah. you, uh, yeah, can't see what lies ahead of you. Right. So what is your reality? Is what yes. currently exists in your present reality, and yeah. that's why we we just don't know what we don't know when yes. we don't know what is outside of the, the wall or outside of the matrix right. we yes. the matrix is a reality we just don't know what's, what's any better yes yes so actually before i jump to like how do you start developing this awareness mm -hmm. um yeah. i want to dig a little bit deeper into you mentioned some people will be disciplined yes uh, and there's this communal gatherings um what what was it like so um it often meant our leader would just call someone out of the crowd. So we would get together in the communal for the sings, for instance. And we were supposed to, another thing, we were always supposed to be very happy. Like you, if you, the leader came around, you had to have a smile. You had to have constant, this exuberant wow. joy. So they would, he would scan as you're, we're singing a hymn. We get together in the room. His, his son played the guitar and kind of led us in Christian songs and all these strange songs that, cause we had only, we had no, television, no radio, no, no real access to the outside world. And so our songs were like these Christian songs that we pulled that were, that we sang together in worship, so to speak. 
So he would sit in the back and watch the camera as the camera people would, and he would just all of a sudden, you sometimes he'd just jump up. You had no idea. He'd start screaming. He swore a lot. I don't know if I can swear in here or not. Yeah, go ahead. Like, Motherfucker, you yeah. pussy. Like just shrieking wow. all these terrible words. And everyone in the crowd, people would look up at the monitors. No one knew who it was. But when he was in that rage, he would just, he'd point someone out. Sometimes other members, he'd have them drag that person up or he'd just come at them. It was a lot of physical smacking. and wow. You know, we'd watch as like, he did more of the abuse to the adults mm. at the hands of the leader. And then we as children were abused by other members in our school environment. There was a woman there that was, um, she handpicked children that she didn't like. And mm. I was one of them. And she would, so her, it would it'd be under the guise of getting punished. And mm. in those scenarios specifically, it happened to me, not all the children because she had specials, but special children that she liked and some she didn't. And she didn't like me. So she would be that strip us naked and bring all the kids around and we would be beaten. Wow. She so, would strip you naked and yeah. gather all the children to watch yeah. you being beaten. To being beaten, yeah. So as you can imagine, as a, I had one, I write about this particular event in my book as well, but um, it was a day that I think, well, it was the day that I really lost all of my self-worth and, and you know. How loved. old were you when that happened? I was about four or five. Wow. Yeah. But they, she disciplined children even younger and like children were not allowed to cry, even babies. So mm. if a child six, seven months old would be disciplined for crying when it's their only way to communicate what they need. So by the time we were two or three, we were being hit. They would take the ruler. So they would sit and then they'd beat us or smack us with the ruler um, but they were very big on corporate punishment and stripping us naked mm. to give the punishment. So yeah, so that that particular case, and as a small child, you know, you're already so sensitive to your body and your your private area. And your yeah. So um, I remember, and I had already, I was uh, uh, bullied a lot as well. We had a hierarchy and our family was very low down because my father had an illness. And so I already was told I was ugly and weird and stupid all the time. Mm. And she supported the children that bullied me. Wow. She kind of empowered them to be mean as well and would go along with it. So yeah. I was deeply humiliated and deeply felt like no one liked me. Yeah. This act was just the end. I remember she brought everyone around. And I remember when she took my underwear off and I was stripped naked and all these children that ridiculed me were watching me and and watching her beat me i just remember thinking i'm going to go inside of myself and i'm never coming out like this outside world is not something that i can ever look in the face again and so yeah. i retreated deep 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 within me um, and i think now i understand the pieces me detached yeah and that's been my journey is bringing that that little child back inside of me yeah so, well yeah first of all i'm so sorry that you <laughs> went through that yeah. like Nobody deserves to be treated that way, let alone yeah. a four-year-old girl right. to be humiliated and to, and in the, and being witnessed by a conscious adult and yeah. allowing for that to happen yes. and empowering the kids to do that to you. Yes. That's. They were her, she had her, she was very, very high up. She was one of, because we had a hierarchy we had the leader, his son and his wife. And then we had, they called them stewards. Mm. So different people at different levels of authority within the cult. And the more authority you had, the more random acts, you could just tell someone they were in sin and discipline them. So she was almost, she and her husband were literally second in command there. And she had four children and her children were bullies. And so they ran the pack of bullies. And with her, I mean, it's not that she said, go out and be mean, but yeah. she was in our, 
homeschool environment yeah. and she would defend them and allow them and laugh with them and also pick yeah. out the children they didn't like and then continue to brutalize us and yeah wow yeah oh i just can't comprehend how like an adult get, like with a does not have any conscience to just to show compassion to right. your Especially girl a mother, right? yeah and she's a mother i've gone i've done a lot of deep healing specifically with this woman at there because she was a bit of of a she was terror i was terrorized by her and the acts that she did on me but um a lot of these people were broken um right. they had they were they had come either through addiction or were not able to to continue on in life because they themselves had experienced trauma and in a from a place of compassion i don't justify her behavior but as an yeah. adult looking back when she was 18 years old she walked into the bathroom and found her father dead in the bathtub who had committed suicide by slitting his wrists oh, wow. so there was great rage and trauma inside of her not that she has any reason to inflict it on a child but there was obviously obviously a wound that had yeah. not been healed and yeah she was out to hurt basically. yeah yeah you know? yeah it's beautiful yeah. Uh, for what she's done to you and for you to be able to step back and see what yeah. was going on yes in her life to be to be doing to be stepping in such an evil role to to, to do that hurt to you yeah. that that was that was beautiful yeah thank you and you know the, this thing was like hurt people hurt other people yes exactly and i have more compassion because i have not um inflicted what she's inflicting me but i see sometimes when i as i work on myself and i observe my behavior i can see little things that i do sometimes when i'm not in the right state or when i'm hurting mm -hmm. i can be more hurtful to others so i have compassion i'm a human as well and she was human and you know i understand how we work and when mm. we're hurting we're hurting we're in anger we're in rage yeah. and we're not connected to yeah. our true self and source and energy and love so yeah yeah so obviously there was such a uh painful memory and experience to go through it as a as a child yes um were there any other significant uh, moments that happened um, in the cult? What There was an event, fast forwarding to that, that allowed me the day that I decided that I was going to get out of the cult was with, I don't like to tell anyone else's stories. I'm also very careful about only speaking about what happened to me. And mm -hmm. so I don't want to put any of my family members. Yeah. But there was, my sister has her own story of things that occurred to her there. And as a result, to injustice that was occurred that happened to my sister they the leader his wife and his son came over to my parents small little home on the compound and brutally beat them basically to a pulp my mom's face was just bloodied and bruised uh, and i walked into our home again i used the home we had our own homes but it was we were subjected to anyone coming in at any moment it, there was not much privacy and they had ripped things off the wall it looked like a crime scene and I walked in to that home and I looked at my parents who were bloodied and beaten and I looked at all of our personal belongings strewn over obviously someone had come in in a full rage and just ripped not only my parents but our home apart mm. and it was at that moment I said I don't care if I'm going to hell this is hell and I'm getting myself out and I'm getting my parents and anyone else that I can take with me mm. so that was also a very Although there were beatings and we people would get punished and smacked, not to that brutality, not to yeah. what I walked into. Um, so that was another very significant moment in the physical abuse yeah. of that place that I said no more. Wow. It broke me. Now I'm very curious. Obviously, uh, 
that was the final event that triggered you yes. to finally escape the cult. But as someone who was born into this group, uh, and that was your reality left and right and center, how do you finally start developing this awareness? So, Edric, it's so interesting because it's part of a I believe that we are born with a knowing mm. because when you look at my situation, I knew, I don't know how to say I, there was something in me that despite the fact that I was isolated from society, I had very little um, comparison. I had very little to compare my life. Yeah. I should have known no better. To me, that should have been truth a hundred percent. Yeah. There was something, there was, there's, there's a, a barometer within me, mm. a truth that I believe I was born with, that I believe we are all born with. Mm. And that's why the, my story, I think, is so beautiful, is that I'm living proof that despite our external environment, yeah. which is important, we have something deeper within us. And whether mm. we're aware of it or whether over time we learn to discover it, yeah. um, I don't know. So to answer your question, it was very active as a child. I, I came in with a very active knowing. I was, even before I started to retaliate from the cult, I always questioned things. They would tell me things, but they didn't resonate with me. Mm -hmm. And so, and I give my mom a lot of credit because although she was brainwashed and she was there, my mother questioned a lot. And I saw her get in a lot of trouble because she wasn't submissive and subservient. She was there because she believed it to be true. So when they forced things on her that weren't, she would fight back. She would question. So she would get in trouble a lot, but she also instilled something in me. Mm. And she taught me through that, that like, don't just do what you're told. Like, do it because you believe it. So I always knew certain things to be true. And then as I got older, I just, the, the watching children get smacked and beaten and watching my parents, it did, something in me didn't wow. align with it. Yeah. But then at the same time, I also was heavily indoctrinated in this Christian hell devil heaven. Yeah. So it was very, very confusing. It yeah. Dualities going on. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, you're like a living proof that yes. there's a higher intelligence yeah. that we could tap into beyond the information that is being fed yes. into our brains. Yeah. You know, like comparing with the adults in your in the group, for example, whom, like you said, they have before entering the call, they have reference points of like what's what's going on outside but for yes. you this was the only reality yeah. and for you to still question all the things that you were seeing and and to step outside of being able to zoom out and see this is not right this yeah. there's a dissonance yeah. between what you're seeing and what you what you feel is right from your heart and from your gut yes yes that 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 was that was profound yes yeah yeah i yes <laughs> <laughs> and eventually i guess what started from like the hunch that there's something wrong going on here to like it grows into like i guess a desire to want to get out of this place and fill with like i guess rage and anger and, and yes and fear and fear yeah because yeah. like you said it's, it's a very confusing for yeah. you yes i always i always do there's something out beyond yes yeah. and i remember we lived in these rolling hills and we had our big communal house and had this big glass window and you could just see these rolling hill after hill and i remember as a small child looking out there being like there's more out there i know it like yeah. i had this like desire yeah. for more yeah and you guys weren't allowed to 
step outside of this like compound? For the most part, not. So in the very early stages, we were able to go visit my grandparents once a year and my grandparents could come up. But over time, it became more and more regulated to the point. No, yeah. we would go out into the outside world, so to speak, to run errands, like to mm. go to a store to get paper towels or things right. like that. But again, our lock was our, we we were so indoctrinated in the belief yeah. that we we weren't tied up, but we believed we'd go out to do our, whatever it was to run that errand and come back to the compound. Right. What was the story that you were uh, told when you saw people outside of your community? Well, I just believed that they were, you know, they were either of the devil or they weren't evolved enough. So there right. was a sense of superiority. Mm-hmm. That, right. That whole, you know, we're God's chosen. So. Yeah. I was fascinated by them. I was secretly jealous. I really wanted to be like them. They had pretty makeup and hair yeah. and clothes. And I wasn't any, allowed any of that. Oftentimes we had a dress code. So I had to like, so I was secretly jealous. Yeah. Definitely. I wished, I used to wish that I was out there. Right. Um, and we were, it was kind of a joke because again, it was a very rural community. So even going out, it was 45 minutes to the, mm. the nearest store. Right. So you're dealing with a, a smaller mentality of people, yeah. a rural community, people that aren't the most sophisticated or intelligent. Pers- I, I guess you can't say they're not intelligent, but not the most sophisticated people. Yeah. So we were sort of known in the neighborhood as the weirdos on the hill. Right. And when we did descend into <laughs> society, <laughs> we were like, <laughs> it's literally yeah. like down the hill. And we were strange. I mean, we like we saw a TV like in yeah. like a department store going with like an ad, and we would just be like staring at the TV. Yeah. And we stared at people. Like I, people laugh at me now. Sometimes I still stare at people, <laughs> but it's because I can't see them now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, we were mesmerized. Yeah. Whenever we had contact with the outside world, I was. Yeah, because I was just curious. It's, it's like you say, you you had contact with the outside yeah. world, but for you to still believe that it's not right to like be curious yeah. to like to to even see what what else is out there and to kind of imitate what they were doing yes. and to still believe that oh your little kind of community was like the chosen one yeah that was wow that was like heavy intense indoctrination very much so yeah very very much so yeah and it's yeah i was mentioning on a, i was having a conversation with someone else and they would like punish you smack you beat you whatever and then afterwards they give you all this love you're the best so it was this constantly this wow. abuse and then love yeah. you're bad you're special you're bad you're special they would like woven deeply ingrained mm. in the system of our beliefs were real truths that resonate with me today this moment so it became very confusing He's like, that's not, that's not right, but this is right. Oh, but they're telling me to do this right thing, but they're doing that. That must be part of the right thing they're telling me because I know it to be right for myself. So there was a lot of good and bad, even though I don't believe in good and bad in such a way, but for the sake of comprehension, good and bad going on at the same time. So you couldn't really, they were sort of connected. So there's just enough good to keep you right. Like, right. Just enough. Yeah. Just enough. Yeah. Wow. That's like brainwashing mm-hmm. to to the extreme. Yes. Yes. Very intelligent too. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because there's just enough good to keep you believing in the system. Yes. Yes. To believe that there's some sort of like a, I don't know, greater good despite all the pain and that you guys went through that it was for something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Something that's really well said. Yeah. And we're all inspired to be, you know, 
go beyond ourselves and yeah. do that. So yeah, it feeds on that aspect of the yeah. needs of the human. When you finally decided to make that pull that trigger, yes. How how do you even make that happen? How do you make your escape plan? Oh, so it was it was challenging because at that point in the history of the cult, um, he had our leader and his posse. I like to call them had seized all of our financial, um, so our social security numbers. We, we, As children, as soon as we reached the age of 18, we got credit cards out in our name that the cult would use. Mm. Everything we purchased, our money was theirs. We had none, none of our own personal money. Um, and so I had this moment where I walked in and things were getting out of the the cult was spiraling out. Like the violence and the erratic and irrational behavior had sort of reached a very, an all-time high. And so I walk in, I see my parents brutalized and I make this conscious decision, even if I'm going to hell, I'm in hell now, and I'm willing to risk hell. I'm willing to get out of the hell right now for the hell that might happen to me. Mm. But it took me almost two years from that moment to actually get to the point where I left physically. And there mm. were a few different things. I was still heavily indoctrinated. So I had to go through my own process of what is what is truthful, what is not. Will like Really, will, will I be possessed by the devil? What will happen to me? I then saw, based on what happened to my parents with my sister's experience, that just leaving would put my parents in great danger. Mm -hmm. And I really had a beautiful love for the children there. And I had, despite everything, always, I felt they were my own children. I mm -hmm. feel like I've mothered many children. I cared for them from the moment they were born. Yeah, I protected them. I always had a little bit more of balls than most people there. And I didn't just conform, mm -hmm. even before I chose to leave. And so I was able to create some semblance of protection for a lot of the children. Mm -hmm. And I also, on top of that, was able to give them love. So even sometimes I couldn't protect them fully, I could I could give them the love on the other side that they right. weren't receiving. So those two great pains of leaving the, my parents and the children kept me there longer. Mm -hmm. But eventually what happened is in order, I got to a point where I thought, okay, this is wrong. I don't want to be here, but I'm going to sacrifice myself to be here for those that I love because leaving will harm them. Mm -hmm. So I disconnected completely from their belief system and from the means in which they control this, which was a lot of brainwashing, verbal brainwashing and physical. So as they tried, so when they would say things to me or set rules, I went against them. Mm -hmm. When they would try to come at me to force me into submission, I, I would literally, I remember one time they were screaming at me and hitting me. And I remember saying in my head, you can do anything. You'll never get to me anymore. Like yeah. hit me, beat me, scream, curse me to hell. You, you're not getting to me. I'm different. And they could feel that energy shift. And right. with that came a lack of fear of them. Without a lack of fear, I spoke out more. I confronted. I did not conform. Mm. And I began to create a problem there mm. because other people were taking notice. So they ultimately asked me to leave. Mm. But they positioned it in such a way where they told me that they had gotten a message from God. And although we weren't supposed to be in the outside world. I was chosen to go out into the world. My mission suddenly became being in the world. Mm. It was their last attempt to get me out. And so when they did that, I basically negotiated my terms. And I said, I'm not going anywhere unless I, you will not touch my parents. I will come up every single, I will travel no matter where I am and come and check on my parents every day. They're not to be touched as a result of my decision. And every child my age, 18 and older, must receive that same invitation to leave without the mind control brainwashing. Wow. Or so I couldn't do anything about the kids. You negotiated quite a big deal. Yes. So quite a, a few of my friends 
went back and forth. Some of them stayed. Some yeah. of them came with me a few months later. Some of them, there was a whole group of people that once I left and created that, it started a movement of people leaving, including mm-hmm. my mother and my sister a year and a half later. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Thank You're you. like the the <laughs> hero of the cult. <laughs> you know? So what happened after you escape the cult like i just i can't imagine for someone who was like that was your life yes this was your entire life and then like you step outside of the matrix literally and then like you're in the real world and like how do you even how do you find yourself how do you assimilate yourself back into the society yes well for a long time i just acted as if and i was very street smart i was born with kind of my experience at the cult was good because I had to constantly be gauging everyone's behavior to try to see who, if this person who was in power was going to get me in trouble. Or So I had this great, my entire survival was dependent on me being able to assess, observe, adjust my behavior accordingly. Mm-hmm. So that actually served me well in the world. I went out in the world and I knew I was weird and different. And so I I just started, I mean, I watched every detail. I, I copied, I mimicked, I watched what people wore, yeah. how they ordered off a menu. Like I literally was incredibly um, observant. Mm. And so for I acted as if, and I also wanted, I was very embarrassed and shameful and I had a lot of pain from my past mm. that I had no ability, did not know how to handle. Yeah. So I literally was like, I'm starting over right now. Today starts my new day, my, my life basically. And I'm going to acclimate as fast as possible. Right. And I didn't know better. So, you know, I, two of my other friends ended up, they almost didn't, but the last minute they came with me. So we had the three of us together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got a job working at a deli counter in a little store, you know, yeah. and I was making minimum wage and, you know, we were sharing rent in that place. So at least we could offset the cost of our living. Yeah. Um, but I was making very little money, but I was free and I didn't know. I, to me, my, anything was possible for the first time in my life because mm-hmm. grow up. In an environment like that, you can't dream. There are no dreams. I just can't imagine how fresh of the the breath of fresh air that you felt. Yes. You know, like putting all the 25 years of being controlled and being put in such a uh, just controlling environment and to finally get out to the real world and your own terms. I don't know how that felt like, but. Well, you know, interesting, I had never really exercised the right to make a choice. So actually, besides the exhilaration of freedom, there was terror. And making a choice, when you think about it, I was a trained dog there. I was uh, I was trained to obey, to not question, and to just do. So all of a sudden, I was faced with choices, and I didn't know how to make choices mm. for myself. So a lot of that was terrifying for me. Yeah. Um, but it was also exhilarating, and I felt... In that moment, in that first few months, the world, anything was possible and yeah. anything I ever desired, I could actually, I was now in a space that things could materialize and happen. And that mm. was a beautiful feeling. It didn't yes. last long, but it did have its time. And yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Why didn't it last long? It was overcompensated by the terror. Well, and it also, you know, I started to assimilate into society and, you know, there's there's an, another set of rules and doctrines right. and control. Yes. <laughs> it's a larger collective cult. Yeah, you thought you skipped the matrix, but it's right. a bigger matrix. A bigger, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, and then I started to realize, wow, you know, I'm minimum wage isn't going to get me that far. You know, right. the, the reality of life and what you need to exist. And then yeah. 
I was, you know, had a lot of shame and lack of self-love and insecurity and I'm out interacting with people and I'm, you know, having bad experiences happen to me and I'm starting, there's pain, there's real pain out here too. And I don't have the tools. Yeah. So I was, you know, after the initial high, I was kind of thrown back and then there's all this repressed pain and anger and rage that isn't being addressed and I'm Mm. depressed and I'm, I don't know who I am and there's no purpose. And so I started to slowly go down into a very dark hole as well. So, so what happens um, after you worked at the deli? Yes. So I made, um, so again, I was really keeping myself, I acted as if a lot. So I was very detached from myself. And again, I had rejected everything I ever knew to be me, all my beliefs there I rejected. So that's really our identity is based Mm -hmm. on a series, our truth, our beliefs, our identity, it's who we are. So I immersed myself in the world and I thought all of the problems I have are simply because I'm weird and abnormal and I'm just Mm. not acclimated. So the faster I can assimilate and become normal and do all of the things that people out here are doing, all my problems will go away. Right. And so I spent 10, 15 years. And again, I have anecdotes and stories and meet beautiful people. And, you know, I remember my very first friend out of the cults who I told about my cult. I didn't speak. It's only recently in the last four or five years that I have even told a lot of people about my time in the cult. But I remember how gently she took me in and she saw me as a normal person despite that. And she encouraged me. And so she was one of my first, I call her angel. And in my book, I say, um, I have three angels in there. Um, Charlie's angels, Cameron, <laughs> Lucy Lou, and Rue. Yeah. And then I have a Charlie too that comes in. But these are angels that came in and carried me. Yeah. But I, I acted, so for the next 10, 12 years, I just was about, I'm not normal enough. I'm not, I need a better career. So yeah. I really went into the matrix full throttle. Yeah. And that is the narrative yeah. that uh, we were being told in yes. this society yes. that you've got to fit in. you got to act normal to be accepted. Yes. And in order for you to feel that you're worthy is like when you fit into the society. Exactly. And to get their approvals yes. of like what is right and wrong, how you like show up in the world. Definitely. And I had no love for myself mm. so all of my validation was yes like, between the men that i dated to my career to everything was an external validation yeah. which is te- it's so frightening you know to be how terrifying that our entire identity and self-worth is based on the reactions and responses mm. of others and external so but there was a deep i never connected with myself i mm. never went deep to address the trauma and pain that lay within and i found myself living in New York City, a great career, financially secure, lots of friends, traveling the world, having a car, like partying, all these beautiful things that should fulfill me. And there was a gnawing, aching hole that was getting worse and worse mm-hmm. and worse. And my, I had a job in, in pharmaceutical sales. And so my job was to go out and socialize and be bubbly and the friend, the doctors and I would wake up, I could barely get out of bed. I could Uh, barely face life. It was so empty and meaningless. And so there was so much pain, pain and depression. And it drove me on a deep, deep journey. I I did not have the, I knew I couldn't, I wouldn't kill myself, but living was an agony. mm -hmm. And I thought I have to find a way to survive, to live because I'm in such pain that life itself was such an agony for me. Mm. So that four or five years ago is what drove me to ultimately 
reconnect to that voice, to that knowing that I had silenced for so long in my great effort to be part of the matrix. Yeah. And I went back and the first step of remembering and connecting with that voice was to go back and own, unpack all of that trauma that was deep, deep within and mm-hmm. to look at it and face it. And, but not in the back. I, I was terrified at first, but in the end, it has turned out to be because it's a journey I'm still working on. Yeah. One of the most rewarding um, experiences of my life. It's not nearly as painful. I am no longer an abused little girl. So when I go back to access, I'm accessing it as a wise, intelligent, deep, compassionate, mm. loving woman. So I can go back and I can go to that experience and I can hold that little child mm. and she doesn't have to make those choices anymore. I can relieve her of yes. that incredible stress yes. of having to perceive everything. And I can come with all my strength and my wisdom and my knowing. And so I'm yeah. reprogramming my entire body and how I relate to what happened to me. And it's beautiful. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yes. Um, yes. I think that inner child in in us is well, people think that we grow up and become an adult, but yes. that inner child stays within us and yes. any unresolved traumas and yes. pain that we suppress is stored in our body. Yes. And we live in a society where we were taught to distract ourselves and to run away from that pain, which yeah. I think what we were experiencing in, yeah. in New York through making money, through the, uh, the friendship, uh, shallow friendship that you made and like yes. all the parties and yes. all the surface level type of uh, materials that we think that will fulfill us. Yes. But it didn't touch the core of yes. our pain. And that's yeah. why we always feel so devoid of yes. meaning. And now I'm so grateful for the pain because it is what dragged me, is the pain that dragged me to my healing and mm, I connected yeah. to a joy. It's interesting. It's just recently that I've experienced joy. Mm. You don't think about it. I didn't have a childhood w- with joy and I didn't know what the feeling of joy was. Yeah. So if we don't know what something feels like, how can we manifest? How can we bring something in that we yeah. don't know exists? Yeah. And so I'm very much now an advocate of individual truth. I believe mm-hmm. that within each one of us, we do have this knowing and that whether we're born in an abusive extreme cult like myself or part of a collective cult or a family cult or religious, because anything that takes us out of ourself mm. and takes that tells us how we should be yeah. and does not support us connecting with our truth yeah. in and of itself is a cult yes and it takes us from our our true vitality our source of who we are and when we think about it no matter where we're born like we're always told the most heroic not the most heroic but one of the best things to be is selfless selfless right mm-hmm. but actually i believe there's a great error in that mm-hmm. it because selfless means You don't put, it's putting others before ourselves. And I believe in this term that I thought that I coined, but now I realize many people use it. So I probably didn't coin it, but I like it, which is self-full. Self-full. And it means being full of self. When I say full of self, I mean being plugged into the truth Mm. who we truly are. And when we connect with our truth, we can go out and be to others and give to others from a place of complete power, knowing, and strength without a lack. Whereas if we put others first without serving ourselves, then we're not connected. We're ending up grabbing, taking, not intentionally, but giving whatever. So 
actually our power source is to be full of self first yeah and we will be better serve serve others better yes in that space so i'm a big advocate and building a whole thing about that that i want to share yes hell yes yes Yes. coming from that place of like pure abundance and when you're so full then you can overflow with love instead of coming from that place of lack yes yeah. And we and we are connected with a divine energy that goes beyond the physical. Mm. There's no fear there. There's nothing but confident, like not arrogant confidence, but yeah. knowing of who I am, what I have, what I can give, a love and compassion for all, mm. for myself first. Everything that I was seeking externally, it sounds so trite, but was within me. Mm. And I was, it truly was. So yes. now that I've connected with this power source, mm. I wake up to, I, I'm by no means happy every single day. I struggle with my demons, but when I do, yeah, instead of seeking an external validation or suppressant, I go in and I'm like, okay, I've been here. Mm-hmm. There's tools here. There's knowledge. There's wisdom. I'm going to reach inside. Yeah, use those tools I've earned to deal with the challenge that I have today. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> That's such a beautiful message that Thank I fully you. resonate with because for the longest time, I've always been trying to seek for something to fill me in yes. externally yes and then nothing will ever feel enough right but then when i could connect to 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 the heart yes and to within and i realize all i've been searching for has always been here so it's yes. not so much of uh seeking for transformation or becoming someone else yes. about coming home yes to who we already are and we're all made of love yes and that's yes. the true source yes. of joy and happiness and meaning in life yes. so it's been beautiful too because i've seen you on a like we haven't shared our entire journeys but in the last year and you i can see it in you Mm -hmm. as you i see you connecting with yourself Mm -hmm. and loving yourself and it manifests just in in, you shine and you have this beauty and this warmth and compassion for others Uh, so yeah thank you thank you for seeing it that way that means a lot yes uh it's a like you it's it's still a journey yes something that i'm still learning yes uh to to practice every single day to never forget despite what's going on on the external and all the things that i was pursuing like the most important thing is connecting to ourselves and to that source yeah uh, I'm quite curious. Like you, you say that you this healing journey started four to five years ago. Yes. How was that like? So I um I have another beautiful angel, and he I actually identify him as Charlie in my book as the the man behind the other angels. Yeah. Um, he was an older gentleman um, who I knew in my industry. He worked for a different company, but I used to run into him a lot, and there was something about him a warmth, and I was always drawn to him. Mm. And I had lost touch with him because we were in different territories in Manhattan working. And I ran into him and I was so excited to see him because he, he had, in my early days of that career, had opened many doors for me because he was an old timer. And he took a liking to me and like a, a yeah. father-daughter liking, like sweet liking and he opened doors for me. And so I went running up to him and I hadn't seen him in two years. And we started talking and he started sharing with me a journey that he had been on and he had been using psychedelic um medicine and um he'd been working with with these clinical studies and trials with with psychotherapists and trained professionals using you know mdma and Mm. psilocybin for deep trauma and ptsd and he started to just before he even got into the actual medicine he just started to explain to me the process of you know the body carries the energetic memory of what happened to us and whether we are conscious if, if it's conscious or not, it's still operating and manifesting and controlling our lives. And mm-hmm. that, so he started 
everything he was saying about them, he was like, wow, I've been so unhappy. And he's talking about past traumas. And I'm like, God, I have not addressed my past in over 15 years. And it was pretty brutal. And so gently, gently, he started to just share with me. And he had a community that he was working with who were very highly trained professionals conducting the clinical studies Mm -hmm. for the FDA. So this wasn't just random people in a jungle. This was really, these were like trained professionals. And I was able to have the great, you know, gift of, going under some of their care and they started to allow me a gentle way to go back into those memories that I had suppressed and forgotten Mm -hmm. and not only access them and allow my body to process that trapped energy that was manifesting in my body and in rage and pain and depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety, um, but then be able to retell that story as well. And once I reconnected, so for instance, I felt joy for the first time year and so once i felt joy i could bring that sensation back out into my day-to-day life because now i had an experience and once i could see the understanding or relate to the woman that traumatized me as a child and see a greater even reason for her existence and what she went through then i started to be able to apply this in my life at all times and i became more and more aware Mm. and i connected back to that voice and now i have this beautiful relationship with my knowing and we kind of were married. We walk hand in hand. And I don't make too many decisions in my life without sitting down, mm-hmm. breathing in, feeling feeling my body. Yes. So I work very closely now. So when things come up and challenge me or I do have decisions that I have to make, um, I go in and I say, okay, you know, we're together now. This knowing has never let me down. It's never abused me. It's never abandoned me. Yeah. Um, and so I work very closely with that. And in turn, I gifts have been opening up for me and I I can see and I can share and I can hopefully I can hold others and gently understand them and support them on their own individual journey to find their Mm. individual truth that's what I really want to do is having been there yeah in such a dark space and come out and understanding what it can be like to not be in that space I want to support anybody who wants to know that too because it's so Mm. beautiful and so worth yes worth it yeah. yeah, I yeah. think despite how dark and and horrible your past and what you had to yeah. go through, I think it's all meant for you to go through all of that so you could fulfill your mission and purpose to share this message because a lot of people didn't get to fully, I think there's a difference between uh, like knowledge and wisdom. Mm. For you to really embody that wisdom, you get to fully experience, experience all the things that you have to go through to fully resonate with this knowledge and this intelligence. Yes. And you had that gift. Yes. If it it is it it's a demon and and it's a dark shadow, but like I could see it as a gift too. And I yeah. think you you're seeing it that way because that allows you then to impart this wisdom that not many people get to experience and embody in such a deep level yes and allow everyone to fully step into their truth absolutely and you're so right and you're so intuitive to connect with that and i can honestly truthfully say i couldn't always say this but i can honestly say today that i'm incredibly grateful for my past i really Mm -hmm. don't have any regrets because i recognize what i have I would never have been able to embody such wisdom. You're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. Had I not gone there. And when you're in deep pain, 
you know who's been in deep pain. Like you can, you yeah. know when someone's been there and they haven't. So yes. it's so beautiful to me that I have been where, so I can, I can go there and hold somebody and they know I've yes. been. I think that's a beautiful gift that yes. I can, I have been there and um, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it really. I would not trade right. my, my life at all. I'm really authentically grateful and happy for all that I've experienced that came recently so it's yeah, not just it's, a swarmy like yeah it took me a long time but now i truly embody i'm so grateful for yeah. my life yeah. yeah wow i have these moms all over because they were just so beautiful i think yeah you'll be an angel uh that will walk a lot of people home because of what you've been through so thank you yes thank you for just stepping into your truth for thank you for being so courageous and brave to to realize that there's beauty and unlimited beauty outside of your current reality yeah, and beautiful. pursuing it and developing this wisdom that you'll soon share yeah. and impart to a lot of many people yeah. that will soon, I believe, like you will walk a lot of people home. Yes, yes. Well, and thank you because your journey is so beautiful and creating these platforms and these ways to bring uh, wisdom and stories forward, I think is a beautiful calling as well. So I really applaud you for not only your personal journey, but for creating this space. And I know you have the warm space as well. You're someone else who has taken his hardships or his feeling of lack and not only just gone there and faced it, but then how can you serve others? And how can I create a space so that others don't have to go to the same extreme you can bring forward and create that. So I really applaud and respect you for your work as well. And thank yes, you. Thank yes. you. That means a lot. Yes. Um, we're coming to an end. Okay. And mm -hmm. I would love for you to share a lesson uh, that our audience could learn from your journey. We, we, yes. we, we went through a lot of different things, but yes. there's like one really key takeaway that you want people to walk away with. What would that be? Think to question. I think the act of questioning is what leads us back to ultimately connecting with our true knowing. So oftentimes we just sort of accept truths and beliefs from, you know, culturally, family. And so that is what slowly over time, without us even knowing, kind of takes away our, our divinity, our sovereign right to discern. So I believe one of the first steps in regaining your truth and your identity is to start questioning, mm. asking yourself questions. It could be, who am I? Or what does this believe? Or why do I believe this? Or do I believe this? And that very simple act of, of questioning, I yeah. think will start us on that in, that journey home. Yes. As you yes. And then ultimately honoring ourselves first. So yeah. I have I have a little, do you want me to, I, two seconds? Or I, I do believe also I have made a pledge to put myself first, to honor myself. Mm. And I wrote a small little pledge that people can say, and it's modeled after the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States, which is something we say to our flag. Yeah. So I took basically the same thing, but I rewrote it instead of pledging my allegiance to an external body or governing body. Mm. I've re I've taken it back and I pledge allegiance to myself and I'll share it really fast. Please, yes. I pledge allegiance to myself and the divinity that lies within. One knowing unto myself, indivisible in uniqueness, truth, and love. Wow. Wow. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> wow. That is. Go home now. Yeah. Thank you. That's powerful. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. Thank you. And 
what I also took away from this conversation is that we're somehow guided by this higher intelligence that we have no understanding whatsoever, but there's always that something in us that is so divine and beautiful. And if we, like you said, just take the time to question and connect to that source, we will be guided to the place where we need to be. And all that pain that we had gone through in our lives, it will serve a greater purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. And you're writing a book now. Yes. And you're about to, uh, well, we talk, this is like, I guess, a little sneak peek of of your book and your life story. And you will, there'll be much more detail and wisdom and lessons in the book. And uh, I can attest how beautiful of a writer uh, Jaja (laughs) is. I've I've seen a, a sneak peeks of the posts uh, that you yes. posted on Instagram you just it's just the way you articulate it it's so po- poetic thank you, and yeah. I think you'll be able to bring people through a journey of full immersing them into your world that many people don't get to experience yes. so where can people find out about the book and if they want to connect with you what will, the, what, will be, what will be the way absolutely so right now the entire book project is under the umbrella my truth dot my story So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Clubhouse. You can also reach out directly to me on any of those platforms by message or my email directly is mytruth.mystory.contact at Gmail. So basically, if you do mytruth.mystory, that's kind of where you'll find all of my handles for everything. I'm sharing news about the book, updates on the book, as well as small little excerpts from the book. Mm-hmm. So you get you get a really nice, you get to kind of go along with this final mm-hmm. journey with me. And I also sometimes share like what I'm going through or how I wrote a piece. And overall the book, I'm writing it very simply, mm-hmm. um, you know, in very basic, simple terms so that anybody can really grasp it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to necessarily be on a deep spiritual journey. Yeah. If you're just longing or hurting or looking, I think the book can be a beautiful tool to help us all back home beautiful can't wait for people to have their hands on this book and truly understand the life journey and take away all the wisdom that you felt in your life wait for it i've been writing this (laughs) yeah so make sure to put all the details in our podcast description and again judge i just want to thank you so much again for being here and for sharing your story with us and just for existing You're, you're such a gift to this world thank you thank you